0: say what needs saying in this episode we continue the conversation from last time so if you haven't yet checked out part one of this episode please do we touched on lots of important topics and issues in that as well and you won't want to miss that if you have already listened to part one welcome back and now let's continue the conversation um so yeah we got one more person with our hand up feel free to to go ahead
1: yeah two two things if i can remember them both anyways but the first one with the whole shots and the training Again, yeah, I think everyone agrees police need, new, need more training. The link that I sent, there was something I wanted to find specifically about this and, and read about. I don't know if anyone else who got that ended up opening it up. Because I, I remember I said how the, a lot of the stuff that the guy in here says is ins- insanely hypocritical, right? And one of them is that he says there is no way an officer can react, track, shoot, and reliably hit a threatening suspect's forearms or a weapon in the suspect's hand in the time span involved. All right, cool. I understand that. There's plenty of other instances where he says, you know, officers aren't trained enough to do this, to do that. That's Hollywood. That's not real life, yada, yada. Then he goes into how officers used to be trained. 20 years ago, officers were trained to shoot, then assess. They would fire one or two rounds, stop to see the effect, and and then go from there, right? Now, he says, now they're trained to shoot and assess, to judge the effect of their shots as they continue to fire. A few paragraphs earlier, this guy says they can't do this and that assessment, but then they're trained to shoot and think, hey, how's this going? Is this person down, blah, blah, blah. That you you can't have it both ways. You can't say they can do they cannot do one way, but you're training them to do something that's insanely more difficult. I don't know how many people here have actually shot a firearm. I was military for a good while, never shot anybody, thankfully, never had to. But your adrenaline's going. I'm gonna assume because again, I haven't had that type of combat. That type of situation, the thinking that is required, even in the military, which military training is way more extensive than anything a police officer is going to take, unless you're going like SWAT or some kind of special whatever. But if you're just a regular street cop, you're not getting that type of training. The The critical thinking and, and the timing you need to think at, on the jump like that, that's, that's hard to do. That's, that's going to be something very rare That's anybody who's an officer Again, unless you're a highly trained SWAT or whatever that, you know, type of uh, training you get, you're not going to be able to do that regardless. One one quick thing to add to the lady who spoke about, you know, the what if, the what if he was still able to move and was still able to do this still. What if he had a knife? What if he had a gun? I get that train of thought. The issue that personally I have with that is you're basing all of that on literally what ifs. You don't, they didn't know if he had a weapon in there. Yeah, he ended up having a knife, but let's be honest, I'm sure most people these days have a knife or some sort of thing that can be used as a weapon in their car, not necessarily gun, but I'm sure a knife. The officers, yeah, I, I get it. You know, he, 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 he took tasers and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, they're kind of heightened. All right, this guy can take a taser. He's going towards his car. Who knows what's next? I understand that. But just that thinking alone, that what if he has this or what if, you know, he can do that. You're basing a person's life on the fact that they might have something, they might do something. Well, what's I the mean, alternative? I was going to ask the same thing. Yeah. So, well, my, so my, was, no, my, my thing was on the whole like totally neutralizing the effect. I mean, if you're going to fire seven shots, you are intending to kill that person. Right. There, I don't see any reason why you can't. And again, I have a few years of, of military experience. I don't see why you can't take down the person with one or two. <laughs> Well, I, I think he, it was, it was he,
2: several people, right? It was two officers that were shooting, right? Not just one. No, only
1: one shot. Only, only one officer was involved in the shooting. Here's oh, the I problem. The okay. first
3: time that doesn't happen and the person doesn't get taken down, that city is going to get sued the bejesus out of, in court because now the cop had the chance to neutralize the situation and they didn't and they blew it and now children or innocent people are dead.
1: Yes, right. so you get that or you get a potentially unarmed, innocent black man or person in general dead because an officer feared for the life when they – not- of, off, off, based off a of what if. But right. I think well, that it depends. would be different if
2: be feared for his life versus the life of somebody else, which is what I think was happening. Is more the – not his life because he's not really facing him with any danger. I think he's uh, worried about him going towards the, the children or potential hostages is how I would put it exactly to escalate the situation and in that case if the person's not going to stop under being told you know i don't know how many times in two tasers you unfortunately have to intervene somehow if it's seven shots i mean yeah from one person that's, that's way excessive but i think really it comes down to like is, is he still moving forward every shot or is he you know dropping you know guarding himself for his limb because if not you, you kind of it might have been necessary I, I can't see there but like if he's moving forward still after seven, five shots or something like that then i mean you might have to fire
0: right well and i think the one thing i wanted to touch too on is that the one important part of your description that i think you brought up you're either protecting the, the life of the police officer in this case over a what if, or you're potentially risking the, the life of an innocent unarmed black man or whatever, what, what your, your description was. I think the most important part there is innocent. And so I think I agree with you 100% when it comes to something like a traffic stop, right, where it's a traffic stop. And we've seen these instances too, and this is indicative of the need of police reform. Where you know the the police jumped to shooting at a at a traffic stop when you know maybe a the the person I think was it was it Castile uh, yeah. I'm not yeah so so instances like that I I agree with your line of logic but in this case he he wasn't an innocent black man right he was he had multiple warrants out for his arrest he the police were called there because of him to because he was somewhere he wasn't supposed to be and then he repeatedly resisted arrest and then resisted even after being tased and then was reaching into the car so i think in that case you've now lost your designator of innocent and so in that case the risk the potential risk over the what if to the police's life i don't want to say outweighs because it makes me sound like i'm weighing one human life over another but Mm. It is now less of a priority to base it on more than that substantiated what if, if that you makes a- sense.
2: You also remove the right to go to your car if you own a firearm. So like that, in addition, he should know ahead of time, do not reach in the car. For the right. sake of your life, don't reach in that car because I know I have a, a CPL or something like that. And mm-hmm. my gun is in the car. Like that's that's dangerous territory there alone. If he? Cop. Yeah, uh Yes.
1: Okay, because uh, I, I know... From, from I know, what I read, from what I read. I, yeah. I, yeah, from what I remember, he had a knife. I, I didn't recall him Right, he had a, a knife, weapon.
2: but in his car, he also had a registered we- uh, weapon, is my okay. understanding. Okay. Also,
4: also to address that the kids in the car were his kids. Those are were, those were his Yeah. Kids.
0: We got one more person in the chat with their hand up. Uh, feel free to, to go ahead.
3: Yeah, I was just going to point out, like, I understand that we keep bringing up the reform thing and stuff, too, but also when we were talking about how, like, The cop has to determine, you know, firing two shots and then determine, okay, are they still continuing? continuing to be a threat to me or other people's lives that's all the stress they have to deal with in every situation am i gonna get killed today am is somebody gonna get hurt today you know is anything being done for training wise or are they just trained on how to use a gun and how to put handcuffs on somebody like how to detain someone or is it literally like i need to psychoanalyze the situation and make sure i know exactly what's going on i know what i want to happen and I'm gonna try and do my best to, um, uh, you know, de-escalate the situation and hope no one gets hurt, including me and the person that's being involved and any other civilians around. You know what I mean? I don't know if that's actually like a thought process that they have.
2: It is. It's in their. It's in their police training. They have to go through like certain scenarios and pass these scenarios yeah. uh, for how how to go through the. The drills and stuff like that so they actually go through sort of these these like is this person reaching for groceries or is this person reaching you know in their car for something and they, they talk about kind of where the the judgment comes and that's usually when like you know somebody's like pulling or moving quickly when they've been told not to and stuff like that is kind of where they have to unfortunately fire regardless but i mean you, you really have to analyze probably those trainings to see say if it's like morally best for the officer and the community or something like that
1: yeah because one thing to add on to that I have a few buddies from the military that joined the local forces, local two forces next to me in the two counties that are around mine. One of them swapped to the other one, and I asked him why he swapped to that police. He said because the training's better. So that is one thing definitely to take into consideration is what police training is happening at every station. Because it's not, it's there's not a uniform, universal set of training. Yeah, there's obviously universal mandates, like basic requirements, but across the country, it's depending on where where you're stationed, what kind of training you're going to get. You can get, I'm sure, definitely New York City has a way tougher police training than you know some little small town somewhere in the Midwest.
0: Now we got one more person in the chat wanted to comment.
5: Yeah, like, I mean, I understand that cops go through like a lot of mental duress when handling a lot of these situations. But I would say at least for the Jacob Blake situation, I don't really think there was just a lot of assessment or they decided to shoot someone like, yeah, he had an open warrant, but I mean, for his arrest, but at the same time, like... Nobody assesses the situation beforehand. Like, what were all the people doing? Again, I'm not saying that they shouldn't have, but his kids were also in the car. So that was something that he was probably trying to get to the car to check up on his kids. And, like, I mean, shooting the man in the back in front of his kids, I feel like that's highly traumatizing. And I feel like it also just re-stigmifies the idea or the negative thoughts that black people have against the police because it's just like there was no really open communication of what just happened like just imagine as a kid you're just sitting in the car um you see the police like struggling with your dad your dad is trying to get to the car and then they just open fire on him you know like i just don't really think they assessed and handled the situation very well at all and the problem with this is that it's just not the first time that we've seen it. As um, said before, where they just shot a 13-year-old kid for pretty much no reason, it's just Black people are not really given the benefit of the doubt or the leeway that white people are because we're just automatically seen as a threat. There is no assessing the situation or see what go, what is going on beforehand to, you know, really make sound judgments. And this is why we just have so many unnecessary deaths because cops just come in and can like you know they over police the situation and i'm not trying to lump all black people into the same situation because obviously there are times when it is justified and you are you know attacking a criminal and not an innocent person but like as i'm saying with all the shootings that we've seen happen in the last couple years it just feels like the cops don't really have any like assessment beforehand and this is before he reached into his car i'm just talking about before they even went to arrest him, they didn't even really see what was happening on the scene was he the aggressor what like because obviously they said he was trying to break up a fight That like that's that's what they say. He was trying to do some type of good deed and it ended up turning bad, you know.
0: So I want to I want to push back a little bit because I agree with the comments about lumping all black people together. I think that in in cases. So I agree with you that there are absolutely cases where black people don't get the benefit of the doubt and they unreasonably get shot. Uh, And I think there's numerous cases like that. But I think that one issue that Black Lives Matter has and that these movements in general have is that they do lump a lot of these other cases together as black person got shot, therefore this is a problem. And so I think you've seen this historically too, right? Even back to Michael Brown. Michael Brown, the Obama DOJ ruled that it was a good shoot. The local government ruled on two separate occasions because they had to investigate it twice to placate people. Is They, they ruled twice that it was a good shoot. But yet when you see the, the lists go around on social media of, you know, this is why we protest for so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, Michael Brown always still makes the list. And so I think it's cases like that and cases like this now and cases like, um, uh, what was the guy at Wendy's?
4: Um, I forgot his name.
0: I can't, yeah, I can't remember his name, but the, the guy that was at Wendy's that assaulted the police and stole his taser and shot the taser at the cops and then ran and got shot. So I think there's, the goalposts have shifted where it seems like any shooting seems like an unreasonable shooting where I do think that a lot of assessment went into the situation with Blake. Otherwise it, he would have gotten shot on his way to the car, right? He wouldn't have taken, it wouldn't have taken that long to to get to the point where he was shot. And I think that that's where, you know, we had a couple of comments saying he was not reaching into his car to check on his kids. He was not resisting arrest to check on his kids. And so I don't, I agree that you also can't lump all resisting cases together. You know, that's not necessarily the, it, it isn't the, oh, well, if you had just not resisted, if you had just listened to cops, you would be alive. That's a, that's a flawed argument, but I do think that it's important to distinguish between the different cases and treat it on a case by case basis and not just immediately jump to it's it's because it was a black person that didn't get the benefit of the doubt. So I want to read through these last couple comments that we had. We had well, I think I missed one but someone one said that's not true he wasn't breaking up a fight he was at someone's house who he had a history of abuse he stole her keys. And then I just think the tasing and verbal uh, announcements sends a clear message. Don't move towards the car or the police will shoot. I don't think this was about being black or white. It's more about how to interact with the police. And then the last one, I think I missed. Oh, yeah. So shifting the topic a little bit, when the family member of a police brutality victim asks the community to abstain from violence and destruction, should their wishes be respected or is it acceptable for the community to express their outrage in any way they see fit? Uh, I just want to jump in before we jump back to the the conversation. I think when we jump back, we can jump back to that off topic comment that we had. I just wanted to jump in before that and just thank you guys, because this has been a great conversation. And I thank honestly, you. if I'm being entirely honest, I genuinely thought that this conversation was going to have a lot more animosity and a lot more anger just because of how heated a topic it is. But I honestly am really happy with how it's turned out and how we've gotten a lot of good conversation on a lot of topics. And it's good. This is what needs to happen.
4: It's definitely what we envisioned when we started this. And you guys are helping us fulfill that vision. And we're always appreciative.
0: So the last comment that we had before jumping, the the one that was a little off topic from what we were currently talking about, but now gives us perfect place to pick back up. Uh was asking that if the the parents of the shooting victim ask you not to riot or protest or things in their name, should you honor that or are people allowed to express their anger in in any way they see fit? I just want to turn it over to to you guys to see to say your piece before we give ours. Well,
1: I think um, on something like that, you're gonna have some people like, oh, it's my right, freedom of speech and whatnot. They're gonna argue that and go against what the family wishes.
5: I mean, true, but I just feel like we shouldn't really be supporting, like, rioting and looting in, like, any form. The protesting, sure, like, peaceful protest, sure, but to riot and loot and destroy businesses and homes, I feel like that's really unnecessary. There's so many other productive ways that Black people can have a voice and just contribute to more healthier ways in society, such as like uh, boycotting businesses that don't necessarily align with your morals or your just your thoughts and your feelings, speaking to Congress, speaking to the police department. I mean, no matter how minuscule you may think that these actions are, if we are all saying the same thing, we all together have a greater voice. So I just feel like the fighting and looting is unnecessary.
1: Yeah, I think everybody agrees with that, I would imagine anyways. I yeah, I
6: mean, it, it, uh, you know, it, it becomes difficult uh, to justify, you know, just for example, burning down a business that somebody has spent a decade you know, creating from scratch. Um, and and I, I don't really see the point of it. You know, I, I think if a crowd wants to protest, uh, the government telling them to stay home, you know, if they want to get out in the streets and say, no, you can't keep me in my house, I fully support that. But whenever whenever they start tearing down the lives of others that aren't really involved in the situation, it becomes a problem in itself.
0: This gets into a topic that I think would be important to touch on. I've seen often, especially recently, the argument that those that are either against riots or against the destruction of property, or that are in any way advocating for things like the feds to come in and help shut it down, or the police to shut it down, that they're valuing property or private property over life. And so that's the argument. I've seen it pop up quite a bit recently. And I think, so I want to give my piece a little bit because I do feel fairly strongly about this, but then I want to turn it over to you guys and see, because I think that you made a good point in that when you were describing the business as something that someone may have spent decades raising up and and building, and you said, quote, destroying their lives. And so I think that it's a kind of, it's a flawed argument to equate private property and and life in the sense that if you are not okay with rioting, if you're not okay with destruction of property, because well, they have insurance, they'll be okay. I don't think that that Mm -hmm. is valuing one over the other. I think it's more equatable. I think you can say that if you destroy this property on some level, you are damaging someone's life. You are damaging someone's livelihood. And it's a matter of at what point did they become quote unquote equal? Yeah.
4: I think we saw one of the comments that popped up. Uh, It says, destroy what your own tax dollars built, not what someone else built with their own profit and hard work. And interestingly, that happened where they did blow up the uh, police precinct. So they did blow up what their tax dollars did pay for. Mm Mm-hmm right
0: and it's you know and it kyle wasn't the only one out there right there were business owners up on the roofs um you know with with their guns there were reports of police telling them to get down and then them yelling back officer these are this is my business and then they kind of left them alone so you know and that's been happening happening throughout the riots you know there's been video all over of business owners holding holding their guns up and protecting themselves I think that there's a very clear distinction between those who have grown up with or been exposed to guns and those who have not or are not. Mm -hmm. Because I think there's this feeling that, and this is purely speculative, so I don't want to say that I have any data behind this or anything, but it seems like anything using a gun or having a gun to protect yourself or your business, it seems like immediately overkill to a lot of people just because of the presence of the gun and the potential to kill with it. I don't think that way. I feel like it's something, it's you taking the the action that you find necessary to protect yourself or your property. And I think that the the presence of the gun is what sets a lot of people off, right? It doesn't necessarily matter what your intentions were. It doesn't necessarily matter what you're protecting, right? It's the fact that, well, you can kill someone with that and that's too far.
1: Yeah, I, I think that that's a really good point. I think it also depends on the situation. Like, obviously, if you are in a legit war zone, weapons meant for that. It's meant to kill, hundred percent, not as a deterrent, not really for anything else. You're in combat; it's meant to kill whoever's coming after you. In a situation with like riots and looting, if you are a business owner, like a mom, you own a mom and pop shop, and you have it, the first thing you're gonna grab it for is for a deterrent. Again, this is more like if I had a mom and pop shop or own my own business. I'm going to stand out there as hopefully as a deterrent, you know, keep it in sight. So people realize if you want to try something, you know, okay, I got something too, you know, and hopefully that wall, they use it as a deterrent. And it depends like, just like that depends on situation. Right. We got a
0: couple of good comments that I want to point out before we keep moving. We covered the one that said that it's, uh, you know, destroy what your tax dollars built, not what someone else built. Then that continued. Someone said most people, most Carry a weapon, hoping they will never have to use it. I absolutely agree with that, right? I've, like I said in a previous episode, I, I own a gun. I have a shotgun. I pray that I never have to use it, and I don't. I didn't buy it with the intention to use it, at least not on a person, right? But you never buy it. I think. Well, again, most people never buy it with the intention to use it. But you're right. It's to have it as that deterrent to, you know. Well, if you're going to come at me, well, now I've got this to to protect myself. And then I had someone message me saying that they've heard that many times, too. I believe talking about when I was talking about the different cultures around guns. And then we had the last one. It said, I think it has three things working against the cause itself, whether it is right or wrong for the case of looting. It feeds stereotypes. It is not the characteristics of members of society. And it hurts or sets a bad image of any message you send. And I agree. I think what we've been seeing a lot of is conflation of the riots and the protests. Right. You know, on both sides, you've got the one side, which saying that it's entirely rioters, it's entirely looters, and it's entirely bad, and we need to shut it down right now. And then you've got the other side, CNN had a Chevron that said, fiery, but mostly peaceful protests. And so there's, there's this distinction, both sides are very much opposed to being anywhere in the middle of saying there's these two things that are happening simultaneously. We have violent riots and violent looters and we have peaceful protests. It's either, well, it's mostly peaceful, but it's also very fiery and, and deadly for a little bit, or we've got, no, no, it's all deadly. It's all riots. And I think that's where you get this, this, these bad stereotypes, these bad images of what you see. And it plays into this narrative with, specifically with the black community, you see this cycle perpetuated where violence against black individuals leads to, or is perceived to lead to, largely violent protests and riots. Right. Right. That's not the case. It's it leads to largely peaceful protests and then some antagonism and stuff that then goes into violence. But it's not necessarily just the it's not the entire black community that's doing that, but it feeds that cycle. And then it feeds the preconceived notions that police have, that government has, that other other people have.
4: One of the issues that I would say in regards to people bringing up looting is that they bring up looting in regards to at least to demerit or to, uh, to detract from the movement of Black Lives Matter. There was a, a comment, not necessarily my own, but I've seen it go throughout social media that is to judge the Black Lives Matter movement off of its most uh, heinous participants is to judge the police departments, people who use deadly force to judge the entire police department or the entire force. And I think that's a bipartisan angle that a lot of that either side doesn't look at that you can't condemn all of Black Lives Matter because of the looting, and you can't condemn all police officers because of these, because of these instances. Uh, we had a slew of comments coming in. Um, one of them was propaganda, which many people have uh, agreed with. They said, you also have instances where protests start peaceful by the locals and good-hearted individuals that then get twisted by outsiders or negative-minded folks getting into those peaceful protests and causing them to turn wrong. Another comment said, "Propaganda is a great comment, and it comes from everywhere. Our own news source as well as uh, foreign countries."
0: Yeah, it's it's crazy, and it's something that, like we said, both sides. It's entirely polarized. It's very partisan now. You know, the news. It's it's very. It's hard to get good news and objective news anywhere. And this is what it leads to. It leads to this this division where I've genuinely been seeing, and I was talking earlier with people that. This is the first instance during all of this, during these riots and during these, the the pandemic in general, right? People have disagreed on a lot of things that have gone on and they've disagreed very vehemently about them. But this is the first time where I've seen one sect of people overtly calling someone a terrorist or a white supremacist and another sect of people overtly calling them a hero that kind of division is what, that's why we wanted to talk about this specific issue and not necessarily the whole, you know, over-encompassing everything, because this is the issue that has prompted even more division between people. It may have just built on the previous issues, definitely did. But now we have literally got people calling someone either a terrorist or a hero. That is the language of war. If you agree with someone that is a terrorist, you are the enemy. And so if someone thinks that, your hero is a terrorist, they now think you are the enemy. It's an awful division that is sparked over this particular instance, this particular issue. Realistically, did Kyle have any right to shoot those people? That's its own argument. Did they have any right to be there? That's its own argument. But you know, at the end of the day, He's a 17-year-old kid who likely, and this is my take, right? But he's a 17-year-old kid who likely has, in some way, whether it's his family or his upbringing or his community or whatever, probably believed that he was doing the right thing mm. and then wound up doing all of this.
6: And so it's, I think everybody it's- Everybody involved thought they were doing the right thing. Correct. Yeah.
4: Now, yeah. Zach, a few, few things I would like to, a few points I would like to touch on. Now, the, the, and I, I agree with your last sentiment. He is a 17-year-old kid. He thought he had intentions, and he did things wrong. I know many people who sold, uh, I, mean, I know many stories, at least, who people who sold dime bags to help their parents pay rent. And none of these, none of these excuses uh, helped them get less than a 25-year sentence. Sure. That's one thing that many people initially uh, have had an issue with. And the term domestic terrorism has been, I can say, uh, a label within the Black community for at least 80 years. Uh, It is up until the the major demographic has picked up on the term to make it more of a vigilant stance. Black people as a whole have been voicing this opinion and have been largely ignored. Leading to this type of looting, this type of protest and expression, bringing on the attention of the majority, which can now bring about using terms such as domestic terrorism. Yes, it's an issue and black people as a whole don't have the resources to create some type of uh, civil cold war. However, now that the majority starts to voice this opinion, this creates the divide that's always been felt within the black community, making the abyss a lot uh, wider between the two hero or the uh, terrorist. We had a couple of comments that says thanks to Trump and it's ensuing a cold, a civil cold war.
1: I think Zach was really hitting on something as well earlier on with when last time she spoke talking about with the way things have going on this this year and even years before this with everything. You get a lot of same situations and it's like, oh, it's another one. Here's another one. Here's another one. And from both sides, everyone just comes in with preconceived opinions because it's a story very similar. And a lot of times you come in, you're already accusing or saying that person's guilty or innocent without even really looking into what actually happened. A lot of times you get a chunk of people that they don't look at a situation specifically. They just open, they group it all into one because they have similarities. So I'm going to go that route. But with any type of case of any situation, anything, you got to look at it in a case by case basis. You can't just, yeah, it's very similar to that one over there. So I'm going to go with that same opinion as all them other guys, you know, or or stuff like that. You just, you got to take it as a case by case basis.
0: Right. And on that, so, you know, and this is, I will preface this by saying, I know this is kind of a controversial take, but I think one good example of this is, well, and before I say this, one other part that plays into this is the lack of understanding of both how the legal system works Mm -hmm. and how the police training works. And I think you jump to wanting to arrest or punish the policemen, even though they may be doing everything quote unquote right. When, when the, instead the push should be to change, like we've been talking about reform the training or change the laws. One instance that I want to point out that may be somewhat more controversial. So Brianna Taylor is probably one of the most tragic cases that we've seen recently. You know, she had no reason to die. It was, it's an awful tragic situation. However, the fact that the cops did have a no-knock warrant and that there were shots fired, it doesn't make it right, but it makes it legal. And so I think what people get into this trend of, oh, well, the the cops that shot Breonna Taylor should be arrested. Well, right now, there is no real legal grounds to arrest them. Instead, no-knock warrants should be pushed back against, right? Rand Paul was current, recently walking away from a, a protest or a riot or something. And rioters were screaming at him, say her name, say her name. Rand Paul is the one behind the, I think it's called Justice for Breonna Taylor Act or something along those lines, where he is trying to shut down no-knock warrants. And in that instance, if a no-knock warrant wasn't allowed, well, this instance wouldn't have happened. And we can prevent future tragic cases like Breonna Taylor from happening. But I think when people get into this trend of, well, we should arrest the cop, we should arrest the cop, I understand the sentiment, but the misunderstanding of the legality of the situation leads to a lot of lumping things together when they, they shouldn't necessarily be lumped together. People focus on the cop instead of the system or the, or the laws.
4: Well, granted, and, and you're completely right, the, the system itself and the laws adjudicating the officers and the community they serve uh, needs to be reformed. However, if the legality of the no-knock warrant or the search warrant um, and the shots were fired, would that absolve the officers in going to jail for shooting uh, someone that's asleep? And apparently that was alive after the shooting and no accounts uh, was taken to save her life. And it was also hidden, her information. Granted, what I'm asking is, are the maneuvers of that police department and trying to evade presenting this accident, that also fall under his legality. And I think that's the bigger issue right, that people are right.
0: Yeah, and I don't know, You know, I don't wanna to pretend to be a legal expert. I, you're probably right. right, that is a separate issue, right? The, the shooting itself and then the handling of the case after are two very different situations, right? I think it was, was it Trayvon Martin that they shot and then they didn't call for help for several minutes? I don't remember.
4: Unfortunately, it's several people, but I don't believe it was the Trayvon Martin. He's several instances where that happened, and it had his hashtag.
0: And so it's cases like that where I think there people you need to be very specific. Not you specifically, but you know it's important to be specific in what exactly you are angry at the cop specifically for, because otherwise then it leads to this. You know, language is very important. It leads to then this lumping together because you can be angry about the shooting you can't lock the cop up for the shooting itself. You then have to figure out whether or not it was handled correctly afterwards. And then maybe he broke some other law that then can be punishable. Now, I'm not trying to justify the shooting at all. Obviously, it was a tragic shooting. It shouldn't have happened. And I don't agree with no-knock warrants. I believe that they're they're unconstitutional on some level. I, but I think it's just important to use use language appropriately so that we don't wind up in a situation where now, you know, like the Jacob Blake case, where it devolves into white cops shoots black man, immediate repercussions and immediate, you know, Kamala Harris came out saying there's no investigation needed for the Jacob Blake case that we should indict the cops. And that's, it's ridiculous, right? As a former prosecutor, especially.
4: Okay. Uh, okay. On that, it's interesting for because for all for of time. her, actions as as a part of the law enforcement contradict that statement <laughs> right. as a whole we will not get into that as now, that a, is a yet. separate
2: episode we, yep.
6: <laughs>
4: going to be very fun when we uh when the when the debates come about and how we angle uh, our discussion that's an entire where we're very excited to oh, so yeah. know how we're going to do that one
0: um, yeah yeah, so just to give you guys a little heads up, I think coming up on November, I think at some point before now in November, we are definitely going to do just a, not a Biden versus Trump episode, but just, you know, discussing the upcoming election and the presidents, the VPs, the, you know, all that.
4: And definitely their arguments. So we're going to, we're going to take, or at least I am going to take some pretty extensive notes and see what points would people side on and which points can be debated. It's going to be very uh, interesting. It's important
0: to have these conversations and, and it leads to lumping everything together to the point where even Kamala Harris is doing it. That was, you know, my main point. Um, we did have a comment uh, coming up around the Breonna Taylor shooting discussion that said, yeah, that's one big thing I've ran into so much is, yeah, it's messed up. And I get why people are mad, understandable, but it's legal. And that's what sucks so much. And then multiple people saying that that's a whole new episode or LOL, don't get me started. Yeah, we'll definitely have to do something along those lines.
4: Right. Do we have any uh, parting comments uh, for the end of this beautiful conversation, this discussion that we've uh, wanted to facilitate? Any final comments or things want to be said? The floor is open.
6: I just think it's important for us to, uh, you know, try to, we all want the same thing, you know, and that's for people to have their rights, liberty, life and pursuit of happiness. So it's important for us to uh, not be partisan and consolidate our efforts and remember who the enemy is. And, they, and the enemy is, you know, the government or people who want to hold us down and take our rights away. So yeah, you know, I'm really there for anyone who wants to fight for liberty.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Good point. So a couple of things that we're trying to get started right now, uh, as we as we grow a little bigger, Uh, So the first thing I'll say is that please tell your friends. We grow most through word of mouth. Uh, We've went from, I believe, one conversation, we had seven, which was a high, but then we had a couple that were two or three. Now we had upwards of 11 or 12 people in this one at one point, which is fantastic. That's the highest we've ever had. So please tell your friends about us and tell them about our social media pages. Uh, Have them like our Facebook, follow on Twitter and Instagram. The other two things that I want to point out is that YouTube and Discord are the two new things that we're going to try to, to move into. Um, so YouTube, we post every episode on there as well. Uh, obviously, we're only audio, but we'll post videos, including the audio and an audiogram or an audio wave of the speech. And so if you don't mind going on there and subscribing to us, we're trying to hit, us, hit 100 subscribers so that we can get a custom URL instead of this long garbage that you see in the chat right now. That way we can actually direct people to our channel a little easier. So please sub to us on there. And then the last thing that I'll point out is what I just posted in the chat. We've formed a Discord group. And this is so Discord is a chat app that is typically used for gaming, but it offers a great opportunity to continue these conversations. We have separate channels set up for every single episode that we've had so far, and we plan to add one for today and for future episodes. And so our hope, once enough people get on the Discord and get interacting, is to have people continue the conversations afterwards on there. And so obviously there's a lot of things that we didn't get to today. There are a lot of things that we don't get to on, on other episodes and those things still need saying. And so if you follow us on social or join the Discord server, that gives us an opportunity to keep these conversations going and keep the discussion alive, right? The The conversation doesn't end just because we stop recording.
4: Also, because we're trying to make this more of a conversation and the community base is really forming. Give us the ideas that you guys want to have us discuss. Uh, We'll definitely be happy to join in and open up the conversation and really get people's point of views. So definitely throw us ideas.
0: We've also now got both a Patreon and a Buy Me a Coffee. And so if you want to help us grow and potentially overcome these gaps in our funding where we have to set up multiple Zoom meetings or Mm -hmm. other things, any support is greatly appreciated. And that's all I've got.
4: Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate it. Well, all right, I think we're going to bring this one to a close.
0: Thank you all. We'll call it a night. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, please remember to like, subscribe, and leave us a five-star
4: rating. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at SayWhatNeeds and on Instagram and Facebook at Say what Needs Saying for live updates and sound bites from our actual podcast. Don't forget to continue the discussion. Thank you for listening.
0: Thanks.